Are you prepared to die? What are some of the preparations that should be made? Well, if you're unsure, then you'll want to stay with us. This is the question and answer program with our Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who for over 30 years answered the questions of his many listeners. Now let's get right to our first question, which comes to us from a listener in Alameda, California. He writes, I heard you state that believers' sins would be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. My sins were judged at the cross and by the blood of Christ. I have long understood that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is my understanding that the judgment seat of Christ is to be a time of judgment for service and rewards, in which our Lord will find something in the poorest of us to reward according to 1 Corinthians 4.5. Can you clarify your position on this issue? All right. May I take this question up? You have confused very definitely this matter of rewards and salvation. Your sins that you have committed even before you were saved and after you're saved are truly under the blood. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have a perfect salvation. In fact, the matter is, you've been born again. You've been made a child of God through faith in Christ, and that cannot be undone. And there's no condemnation because you are in Christ. But as a Christian, you sin, at least I do, and I find that I have to deal with those sins because we are told here in 1 John, the first chapter, verse 5, this then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Now, a lie is a sin, and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, And what does light reveal? It reveals to us that we are sinners. And even as Christians, we're sinners. You still have that old sinful nature. But he says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, if you'll walk in the light of the Word of God, you have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, just keeps on cleansing us from all sin. But how does it do that? Well, we need to keep reading these things because he says here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's not talking to the down and outers. He's talking now to 
those that are in Christ, that are saved. And if you say that you have no sin, the one that you're really deceiving, you deceive yourself, kidding yourself, and the truth's not in us. Well, if we confess our sins, who's he talking to? Believers. If we believers, we Christians, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we'll confess our sins, then he cleanses us. And we're told if we judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. Now, this idea that you seem to have, that since your sins are under the blood, and you're going to come up before him someday, and he's going to pat you on the back and tell you what a nice little Sunday school girl or boy that you happen to be. Well, friends, that's not the picture that you have in the Word of God. And the very passage that this party referred to, which is over in 1 Corinthians, and I think that probably I should turn to that because we today have so much loose living among Christians. They say, my sin is under the blood. Years ago, one of the dean of man long ago in Moody Bible Institute told me that they brought a student up before them that had committed a sin. I actually don't know what it was. He never indicated it, and I never inquired. And he said that they called it to his attention, and he just smiled. He says, well, my sin's under the blood. And they asked him, you don't intend to do anything about it? He said, no, it's under the blood. Well, they said, your sin may be under the blood, but you're out, and they let him go. That type of thinking is dangerous thinking today on the part of believers, and I'll tell you why. Because we are going to be judged. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the bame of Christ, and we are to be judged by the things that we've done down here. Now, don't misunderstand me. Your salvation is not in question. But whether you get a reward is really in question, friends. Paul said that he got out on the race course of life and he says, I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling. He says, I don't want to be disapproved. I keep under my body. My friends, he's going to reward us according to our works. But we are saved by the grace of God. Don't lose sight of that, but don't lose sight of the other. Now I'm turning to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You can do nothing to add to your salvation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, now you can't put down the foundation, it's down. But you now can work, and your life is going to count either for God or against him. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, six different kinds of material you can build with. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Now, whatever you're building with will be made manifest. How? For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, fire is going to test your work. That, to me, sounds serious. 
Now, if any man's work abide, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. Now, if you're building with gold or silver or precious stones, why, you're going to get a reward because fire won't destroy it. But what about wood, hay, and stubble? Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Does that mean anything to you? The Word of God says that it's possible at the judgment seat of Christ you'll suffer loss. But will you lose your salvation? No. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. And I like to put it like this. There are going to be many Christians that'll come before the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to smell like they were bought at a fire sale. Everything they ever did is wood, hay, and stubble. There's been sin in their lives. And if you think that he's going to pat you on the back and say what a nice little sweet thing you were down here when you weren't, my friend, you're wrong. John says it's possible to be shamed at his appearing. Well, I think, frankly, at the rapture of the church, we make so much of it, we that are fundamental today, we act as if, my, it's going to be such a wonderful thing. Well, there are going to be a lot of people that are going all the way into the presence of Christ crying because of the fact they put all their eggs in earthly baskets down here and all they loved, all their hope, all their joys, all their sorrows were right down here on this earth and they did nothing for God. And when they come into his presence, all they've got is wood, hay, and stubble. Puff! It's going up in smoke. That's what's going to happen to it. And they can't be very happy about that, my friend, or very joyful about that. I think that there ought to be more attention given to the Christian life, not these little courses that tell you if you follow this little rule or that little rule, you can get along with your wife and how you're to handle this, that, and the other. I think there should be preaching today to Christians on the fact that if you sin, that's coming before the judgment seat of Christ, and it's going to be straightened out at the judgment seat of Christ. I say that's pretty important. I say that's all important. I've got several letters, and they still keep coming into me. Oh, Dr. McGee, we don't like for you to tell us who are Christians that we're sinners. Well, nobody else apparently is telling you that. I'm going to tell you that. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner, saved by the grace of God. And you want to know something? I'm trying my best now to get my life in order so when I go in his presence, he'll be able to say to Vernon McGee, well done, now good and faithful servant. I don't want him to have to set a match to everything I've done and it all go up in smoke. Do you want that, my friend? I don't think you do. Now this listener wrote saying, I heard you say that you didn't bother praying for lost sheep. You only prayed for God's children. Can you explain this? Well, you didn't exactly quote me as I said it. I do want to say that the Lord Jesus in the so-called Lord's Prayer made the statement. He says, I do not pray for the world I pray for those that thou hast given me out of the world. Today, you and I can get the gospel to the lost, but what can you pray for the lost man? Do you pray that he be prosperous in business? 
Those are not things for us to pray for the lost, friends. We have only one prayer for the lost. We pray that the Word of God might get to them and they might get saved. That's the prayer that we should pray for the lost. The quotation you give me out of the Sermon on the Mount, pray for your enemies. What would you pray for your enemies? Well, you'd pray that they be saved, that they be brought into a right relationship with God. You certainly wouldn't pray that enemies would prosper. Certainly God's not asking us to do that. And the Lord Jesus said that he only prays for those that are his own. Now, he died for the world. What more can he do than that? He died for the sins of the world. And I think instead of this matter of being so sentimental about praying for our enemies, we should try to get the word of God to them. Today, I'm not praying for the Chinese, that they be prosperous and that they become great under communism. I'm praying that they get saved and we're taking the gospel to them and putting it in shoe leather, our prayer. We want them saved. But I, to be perfectly frank, do not want communism to succeed anywhere. So I hope I've made that clear to you now and that we can become over-sentimental in these matters when actually what these people need is really the Word of God. Our next question comes to us from a listener in Chesapeake, Virginia, who writes, I understand that you believe that the ten virgins mentioned in Matthew chapter 25 are a reference to Israel. I believe they are a picture of the church because Webster's Dictionary indicates that a virgin is chaste, whereas Scripture says that Israel is a harlot. What do you think? Well, may I say to you that I don't think that you should get your interpretation out of Webster's Dictionary of any particular date, but get it out of the Word of God. Now, the church is called the Virgin Bride of Christ and will be presented to him as a bride. But you read what he has to say concerning the church in those seven churches of Asia Minor. It's very strong language. And God did say this of Israel. It is true. But Israel, as a nation, had departed from God. The majority, the leadership, had turned from God. But there always was a remnant, and God counted the remnant. And I think you have that same thing in the church today. So that you don't bring that type of thinking to the interpretation here. To begin with, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, is directly to Israel. It's given to the nation Israel. It's not given to the church. Everything in there is for the nation Israel and the Gentiles in the last days. The church is not in that section at all. So that the church, for that reason, could not be the virgins And the church is called singular, the virgin bride of Christ, and not virgins. Virgins is a designation of Israel. And I think here, the picture that you have, and if you notice some of the manuscripts that we have, says that Christ will be returning to the Lord's Supper with his bride. And that bride is the church. And these virgins are not related to him in any kind of a marriage relationship at all. 
so that I think you'd find that this interpretation refers to the nation Israel is much better than to try to put the church in the Olivet Discourse. Now here's a question from a listener in Linden, Washington, who writes, Does it say anywhere in the Bible that Jesus descended into hell? I know it's stated in the Apostles' Creed, but what about the Bible? And believe me, that is certainly accurate, and it says it in the Scripture, unfortunately, but we need to interpret it. There are several things that need to be interpreted here. And by the way, I'm turning now to 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 18. And Peter writes here, he says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient. Well, what spirits is he talking to, and when did he speak to them? All right, here is the when. When did the Lord Jesus speak? When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein that his eight souls were saved by water. And these people were in the ark with Noah, and Noah had preached for 120 years. And there's a great company of people there that had heard the message that Noah had to give. And it was the message, actually, of salvation. Judgment is coming, and the way that you can avoid the judgment is to get in the ark. And that is exactly our message today. It's the gospel. Judgment is coming on this world. Judgment is coming to the sinner. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Judgment's already been leveled against us. What is the escape? To get in Christ. How do you get in Christ? We're told there's therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Well, you get in Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you trust the Lord Jesus, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit and put into the body of believers, and that body of believers is the bride of Christ and is Christ. So that's the way that you get in. And so that was the message that Christ gave in the days of Noah. And I think in light of the fact that he's going to come to the earth and die for the sins of the world. Now, I think that probably we ought to be maybe a little bit more specific here now. It says that Jesus descends into hell. Now, let me go on and read. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And he says that the Christ suffers for our sins for us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, quickened by the Spirit, which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Well, what is the prison? Well, it's the place where the lost people go. And the Apostles' Creed call that hell. Well, hell, translated in the King James, is not what we think of as hell. It's the Greek word Hades, and translated Hades should be translated that way, and it's the same as Sheol in the Old Testament, and it's the place that the dead go, the lost dead go when they die. 
and they're saved today, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But the lost go to this place, and it's not hell. Hell, we think of it, is a place of eternal abode. hasn't been opened up to do business yet. It will not be opened up till the false prophet is put there. He apparently will be the first one that will be put in that place. We turn now to this interesting question. How does one prepare for death? Well, the first thing I think that a person ought to do is to prepare himself for death, is to make sure that he's trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and is going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But all of us, it's just our human nature and it can't be changed, I don't think. There's always that fear of death. God made us that way. Death was not introduced as a blessing, but actually as a judgment upon man. It's not a pleasant thing. We're not to think of it like that at all, and certainly not welcome it at all. We are to have a dread of dying and of death, and that's perfectly normal, and it hasn't anything in the world to do with our relationship to God. But that little moment that you pass from this life to the next is the one that I'm very frank to tell you. I don't look forward to that, but it's coming, and I know that it'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so all I can say is hallelujah. I wish that he would come, and I didn't have to go through that. But I do not think that is something that ought to disturb you too much. Don't become morbid on this type of thing at all. All this is in the hands of the Lord, and you can trust him. Our final question today comes from a listener in Charleston, West Virginia, who writes, I know throughout the Bible, angels appeared many times to minister and carry out God's plan. So my question is, does Psalm 9111, which says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, apply to us? May I say to you, I think that he has something even better for us today. An angel might have a coffee break and at the very time that you needed him the most. Well, God has provided for the child of God today to be indwelt by the Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. And friends, you can't have it any better than that. And one of the great neglected truths of our conservative theology today is the great truth that every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. We need to emphasize that today, and that we have a helper, and we have someone that if we'll yield to him as Christians, he will lead, and he will guide us, and he will lift us up when we stumble or fall. So that that's a much better arrangement than have angels keeping us in all our ways, because I've always felt if I had a guardian angel that he'd have difficulty keeping up with me, and he may be way down the road when I need him the most. And I thank God that the Spirit of God today is able to do what I cannot do and what the law could not do. The Spirit of God now has come to make that possible for us. And it's just a question on our part of yielding to him. And it's an altogether new way of living and it presents a new lifestyle, and we keep harking back to the old, you know, horse and buggy days 
of there's an angel that'll keep me from falling. Well, my friend, you're now a child of God indwelt by the Spirit of God. Let's start rejoicing in that. As we close today's broadcast, we want to remind you that we have a number of helpful materials that can help you in your understanding of God's Word. Many of these are available in our resource catalog, which you can get by calling us anytime and leaving your voicemail request. Just make sure you include your name, address, and the call letters of the station. Or you can shop for TTB resources by going to our website anytime online at ttb.org. For those of you who are interested, today's broadcast is available on a single CD. Maybe you heard an answer that you know that your friend or loved one needed to hear as well. Well, you can contact one of our service operators for purchasing information. Be sure to join us this week on the Bible Bus as we continue Dr. McGee's five-year journey through the whole Word of God, book by book and then chapter by chapter. If you'd like to be added to our mailing list for notes and outlines and our monthly newsletter, call, use our internet order form, or download them from our website. Now, before we close this broadcast, we'd like to remind you that God has greatly blessed our efforts of getting out the whole word to the whole world in this past year. We've seen the addition of new languages to our lineup, like Mongolian, the introduction of new ways of getting the message out, like satellite TV for our Arabic broadcast and the expansion of the Vietnamese speaker box ministry. You can learn about these efforts and others when you listen to our TTB Global Impact Report podcast with our international director, Greg Harris. You can go to our website to find links to previous episodes, like our year in review, and then more information on how to subscribe for future broadcasts. To contact our offices for the catalog or to purchase materials or to get on the mailing list, call 1-800-65-BIBLE Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You can always write to Questions and Answers. In the U.S., write to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325. London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or visit our website at www.ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz for Through the Bible Radio, praying that God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. This program has been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.